Welcome to Culture Crawl ATX Podcast. I'm your co-host, Michael Ward Jr. And this is Donald Scott II. Thank you for uh, giving us an opportunity to talk about policing in the United States, probably as a function of uh, industry, right? As a function of power. And then in general, and what I wanted to do, and, and the reason um, I asked for, uh, for a guest who works inside of the, of the police uh, industry, policing industry, is we also have to remember that they are people, right? And so even when we're talking about, quote unquote, the police and the concept of the police as a uniform group, um, I think I personally believe that it takes away from our ability to discuss how we can make changes both in ourselves, right? Fine, however you, whatever we need to do, but then also in the system where the police operate. Uh, so it will, I, I, I imagine this will be a lively discussion. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'll start, I'll, I'll also add, right? And, and I sent a message, um, this is a while back actually, maybe in February, I sent a message on the topic of empathy flowing from the police department here, at least locally. Um, we, we have, as far as I know, we do not have a strained relationship, but we also have the benefit of having a minority uh, uh, chief of police. We also happen to have a decent number of people of color, both Black, Hispanic, Asian, on our, um, on our police force. And the, the vibe that we get from them is not one that's overtly aggressive. That's, but I'm new to town, and that's just my opinion, having watched and listened. Um, I don't know if there's any, his, any historical conflict. Um, but anyway, I talked with the chief of police and what, and we talked about this concept of Black Lives Matter. And I brought up Black Lives Matter, but then the, the opposite idea that was presented to me was the concept of Blue Lives Matter. And I thought about that after the conversation and I, I wrote back an email and, and it basically said, when someone says Black Lives Matter, that is not a binary stance or, or, or a diamet, uh, diametrically opposed stance to anything having to do with policing. Everybody in the United States has family that are police. We have family that have been police. We have family that were at one point police. We have, like, we have family. We know those people. They are in our community sometimes. The issue is not who, the issue is not whether one life matters over the next. The issue is that one life, from a uniform perspective, if we say that there's a police uniform and a Black people uniform, right, uniformly considered a monolithic group, the problem is exactly that that we've been given this conversation or we've been given this um, opinion that it's binary, that somehow, you know, black is opposite of police, black is opposite of white, white equals police. That is not true. But when people are enraged after people have been murdered, it's easy 
for then, you know, and I'm constantly throwing the media under the bus. Um, but at least from a curated content perspective, it's very easy for that message to be fed that it is a us versus them experience, which erases all of the people that are, I'll, I'll say, in the middle or at least intersectional. But that's exactly how you create or keep things as they are. You know, you know the saying, united we stand, divided we fall. And when you create that division within the community, that is what allows you to keep perpetuating whatever type of policy or practices you want to. So in this situation, it has to be us or them, right? It has to be, you know, if I'm winning, they're losing, or if I'm losing, they're winning, and we can't do that. And when we allow people to do that, then it goes back to our own selfishness, our own fear, our own um, idea that there's not enough out there. And, and that is um, really, really challenging to change that mindset because that goes back to culture, right? And the comments on, you know, blue lives matter, or all lives matter. It's like, yes, you're completely right. However, if my house is on fire, the police department, not the people, sorry, the, fire, the firefighters are not going to go to your house to, to hose down your house if you don't have a fire. They're going to come to my house, right? And, and I think, well, I've seen that somewhere, and that is the, the best example that I think I could give around that response is saying, blue lives matter, all lives matter, but we're not discussing that right now. We are specifically talking about the injustices and the inequities and the police brutality that are directly affecting black men and black women for this conversation. I'm not saying no one else is being affected, but for this conversation, this is what we are addressing. And I think instead of trying to address that, people want to create division amongst yeah. themselves so the conversation never starts or never happens. Yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And so from the beginning, so I've been um, working in tandem with uh, three police departments now for 28 years. Whew, thank you and for your service. I've had, <laughs> I've had uh, colleagues of mine that have gone into the police academy while I was, you know, stayed with, with, within my ranks. And so once you go into the sworn system, when once you're sworn as a service officer and you put on that uniform and they give you that badge and they give you that gun, it does become us against them. And the first thing, I'm in a civilian capacity, and the first thing people want to know or they want to know, the police want to know if you get stopped or what have you, are you sworn? Because that puts you beneath them, right? So it's civilian versus sworn right there, right out the gate, because now they're sworn. That's a whole nother code of silence, code of blue, a whole nother brotherhood, sisterhood. It's like a fraternity. You know, they're going to stick together. They're going to eat together. They're going to they're going to play baseball together. They're going to do all those things together. And you all are not allowed because you're civilian. Right. They have their own union. They have their own pension. They have their own credit union. They have their own everything. Even within the fire department, they have their own. Right. So 
it's right there. Now, I don't know that this to be true. This is something that I heard when I'm getting ready to state that when they go into the gun range, those figures are black. So who are you looking for? The bad guy. So they're trying to change that. Maybe that has been changed. Those video simulations, things like that. Now it might be more diverse, but I know back in the day, my early years, when you going into those trainings, those bad guys were black or those bad guys were Hispanic. So if you're being, if that's being drilled in you at that point, and then maybe at your household, at your dining room table, your family spoke negatively about other races for your first 20 years of your life. And then you happen upon this good job as a police officer at the tender age of 22, 23, 24, 25. Now you have to go and be the police and they've already, now you've already been set up at home. They set you up in the academy. It's us against them. And now you have to go out and police these people. So now what? Right? Sometimes like I told my children, you are going to encounter people who have never come in contact with African-Americans before. And they already have these prejudices set up from home. They didn't go to high school with them. They wasn't in the club with them. They didn't have friends or family members, didn't have an interracial family. They came from these small towns that there were no black people. And now they have to deal with you and they're dealing with you based upon what they were taught at home and what they've seen in the media. So those things too, once they put that uniform on and they go into these communities. And a lot of cities are segregated. They're not, the police officers are not your neighbors. The police officers live outside the community because some of them are shady. They're not, they're arresting your neighbor and they, now they know where you live. They know where the police officers, what time they come home. They know the shifts, where the kids go to school, all this and that. And that opens up the door for retaliation. So no, the police are not of the community. They don't live next door. They're not um, coaching your baseball team with your kids. You know them. That, that is not happening. I think some of that needs to be brought back, that the police need to work and live in the communities that they're policing in. They should work there. They should live there. Their friends, their kids should go to school with them. A lot of police officers' kids go to private schools, Catholic institutions, where they're separated again. They're not in public school, right? Their kids all go to school together. They're all in their clubs together with those police kids. They live in their communities together. There's communities where there's a lot of police and fire that live together. They're in those communities, and they go to those schools. So where does this change really begin? I I appreciate your your feedback and just your perspective because there are two things you said I really want to touch on. One is when you go to the gun range, the paper you are shooting, the body image is black. And for a police officer, I mean, you have to know how to use a weapon, right? So that's part of your training that you are envisioning shooting a black figure all the time and if that is then being connected to what is considered a criminal right and this is comes down to like the criminalization of people from the global majority specifically black and hispanic now in their training process these individuals are being conditioned to see individuals that are black or hispanic as criminals as deadly as lethal as someone you're supposed to shoot and kill. I didn't even think about it from the, the gun range standpoint, but even I thought about times I went to a gun range. Yeah, the image was black, but I didn't 
I didn't think to connect about me shooting a black uh, person. I just thought about me shooting a piece of paper, right? It was just target practice. I wasn't really thinking anything of that, but that's because I wasn't doing this consistently every single day for how many hours, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that's a huge, that's an interesting point to bring up that I haven't heard anywhere else. I'm um, sorry, thank you for that. And then the other thing I wanted to uh, br bring up is the, the comment about the police officers not being from the community and not being engaged and not really knowing the people that they are supposed to be protecting, not policing, but protecting. And that, and that is what is, is, I do believe is missing from our community um, because that is, that's how we get to, to know each other. That's how we get to love one another is having interactions by having conversations because the next thing you know, they like the same TV shows. They like the same basketball team. You know, we start finding all these commonalities that now changes the, 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 the police culture that you may have been brainwashed, which dates back to, oh, police officers were first created to catch slaves. Like, like that is what the basis was, and we have created that framework, amplified it, turns, put some, put some, um, added some other ingredients, but it's still the basis and the foundation that is the police force today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. So, if the police officer is my neighbor, and I have to go to work, and my husband's not home yet, can your wife watch my kid? You know, just that that neighborly that neighborly interaction that's going on as my kids are being raised in the community or, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, we had, I had discussed with a colleague of mine about, they, and I saw in Chicago, they want to take the police officers out of the schools. Well, maybe those police officers need to be alumni of those schools because where I went to school, the security guards at the school were the police in the same neighborhood. They attended that high school. They were alumni from the high Everyone in the neighborhood knew they were born and raised and everybody was born and raised at that high school and everybody knew who they were. Everybody knew who they were. And so if, if Bruce had to bring you home because you were out doing something, your mama nine times out of 10 went to school with Bruce or Bruce's brother, or they knew who that person was. They knew your mom, your uncle, your so-and-so. But that kept everything in the community and there was no us versus them. It was a more so of, you know Bruce know your mama or your daddy, so you need to steer clear of Bruce, right? But that put it, it was a, it was a different tone with that community. Whereas if these larger municipalities where you don't have to live in the county or within the district within you work, you can live on the north side or the east side and work down on the south side. You don't know those people down there. And then I had to arrest my neighbor's son for stealing a car. Well, it kind of has a different connotation if, you know I know your daddy and we was at the uh, play checkers together on the weekends or whatever, and now I got to come arrest you for uh, being in this stolen car. It's the difference then. You, it, it, it's the difference from the community because you're an insider having to do this as like a father figure, not as an outside police force coming to arrest this kid. You know what I'm saying? You might still have to do your policing job, but it might have a different tone if you are from the community of the community. Yeah. I, I, 
I agree with that. One of the one of the things that I I had put in my email just from a uniform perspective was <clears throat> community policing fine is different from SWAT, is different from detectives. Right. Right, which is different from school policing. All of those different groups should be considered uh, different types of professions, but also have a different type of uniform. I don't want to see, um, I don't, I personally, right, given my back, given my experience with the police uniform, I am uncomfortable walking to school with my children with all these police standing around. It gives me anxiety. Mm -hmm. Can they look like a dad and still have on a gun? You know what I mean? Can they have, can they have on a t-shirt with a vest, you know, or something that looks more, um, looks more uh, inviting, yeah. Invi yeah. at least at the school, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. on, on the separate, the second thing is the militarization of the police force, right? Now I have, um, in my previous house, I had neighbors who were both ex-military and uh, Austin police. As neighbors, awesome people, right? Their kids, my kids age, we'd be over in their house, they'd be over in our house. Chill, chill, everybody's cool. But every now and then, right? One, one time, my neighbor ended up on video, um, not because she was necessarily, she wasn't necessarily beating up on somebody, but they got her on video needing to more than gently set somebody down. Now, <laughs> that's my neighbor. I'm not outraged, right? I'm not outraged at the way she behaved herself because I know her spirit. However, when I run into them in their group on the street, it's clear that the group does not know who I am and they are wondering why, I'm, why we have a relationship. And that's a function of community because they are not, they do not live near the people who they are supposed to police, mm -hmm. just like we have international war and the other group is the group that's there to be managed, maintained, kept in line, right? And I look, because, because my skin color is black and theirs is not, they feel that I am other. Instead of we, we all out here on 6th Street, we're all Austinites. But just because you are in one uniform and you see me as carrying another uniform, now there's a division and a, and a problem. And mm -hmm. so I, to your point, if the community knows what's happening, right? If your community police person is your neighbor, yeah, they might have to arrest your uncle. You know what I mean? When, when your uncle get to, get to drinking too much, yeah, he got, we got to call police. We know who it is. He going to come by, be kind. It's not going to be stomping on nobody's neck. No guns are coming out. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that's unnecessary. Unless we know your uncle is is the is the dangerous type, but we know that, right? Right. right? And right. then um, the other thing I was thinking from an empathy perspective, right? Uh, because there's been a lot of conversation now about um, what the uh, what the punishments should be 
for these people, right? Who are killing, right? On the one hand, um, yes, you certainly should be held accountable because you're a human being. And if I was to kill somebody, I would be held accountable. But if I were to kill somebody, the first question that would be asked would be, no, my friends would be like, I can't believe he did that. I don't know why he would have done that. He must have been under a lot of pressure. And I was talking to the therapist and the therapist was saying that when she watches the video of people being murdered, the person that she's looking at is the person doing the murdering. And what we don't ask ourselves, right, from a human perspective, is what was that individual thinking mm -hmm. at the moment, right? When I snap, when I snap and I didn't throw a chair through the window, or I snap and I didn't, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever people, normal people do when they snap. When you ask them what they were thinking, the only thing they can say is that they snap. Part of the reformation, I think, inside of the policing experience and the police uh, economy, the the police interaction is forced, I do use the word forced actually, or mandated, right? Meditation, mandated mindfulness, mandated therapy. Um, and if somebody is having a bad day, cool, stay at the desk. Also, don't be out there eight, nine, 10 hours after you've just been looking at Facebook all day. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to have this profession where you are given the responsibility of the potential for lethal force, then you should be under a strict guideline of how to manage your emotions, right? Because nobody's talking about this dude's emotions. He might be a great dude. You know what I mean? Like, we don't know him. His neighbors might be shocked. But all we see is he was crushing his dude's neck. He's a murderer. Yes, he murdered a person, but where was his emotional support? You know what I mean? I understand I'm being empathetic, but I do believe that, that it's a topic that we don't necessarily discuss. Everybody gets in a rage. We're not going to change anything because people be enraged. And, and I sent the message to my buddies. We all have police friends. We all have police neighbors. Who knows a passive cop? You know what I mean? Like nobody is like, oh, oh, John, he wouldn't hurt a fly, but he's he's he goes and puts on a uniform every day and uh and runs runs after whatever he's running after, right? He goes and polices this high, high crime unit, uh, high crime area, right? Those are not passive people in general. So if we're not supporting them mentally, then we're not going to change anything and tomorrow or someday soon right probably happening right now it's just not being reported somebody's getting killed by somebody who has poor emotional intelligence and access to lethal force plus they know that it does not affect their families right because you still get your paycheck your fam nobody knows where you know your family doesn't get called out if your kids are all in school together like you mentioned then um the kids are not judging the other kid's parent for being a murderer. You know what I'm saying? Like all of that communication related to empathy and community and how we talk about the industry of policing 
would be better served with more mindfulness. That's like and go. Donald, I agree with you because the adrenaline rush that I can only imagine that they get when, I don't know if you guys saw this or not, that police chase on, uh, in Chicago uh, a couple nights ago, um, it, it started on the south side, ended on the north side. You have all these multiple jurisdictional agencies involved. This guy then killed a lady on the south side, sent him on a chase all over the city, hit a squad car, four car accident, woman died. The police are head on in this. What kind of mental state are all of them in to see this crash, everything going on? This guy was on the railroad tracks driving. I mean, this chase was ridiculous, right? And as and I'm thinking when we always we always know we always know if 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 you if you if the police are chasing you in a vehicle right and you they call it, they bail you hop out the car and you start running if they catch your ass oh sorry for cursing if they catch you you gonna get a whooping for sure for sure for sure it's kind of one of those things your mama like you better stay here don't you let don't make me come catch you because that's gonna be worse right what that in an instant that you is right they snap you're absolutely right they end up snapping and that's what happens they end up snapping and this has been day in day out they're working 8 10 12 hour shifts um you know you got protests going on you got this you got that and if there was some history between these two gentlemen in the past and this was not our first encounter and the police know who the regular offenders are you get the dispatch give out the description and like oh yeah we know that's so and so he always over there blah blah uh, you know, they know, and it's just a lot. It's a lot. And I don't know that if they have in those, is there, is there a, a split second that they can reach into their mental bag of tricks to say, I'm going too far or their partners to tell them you're going too far or somebody else. Don't shoot this mug. Is what? what does that look like for them on the street um and like you say they're human they putting on some clothes they got a badge and a gun but they're still human and they are tired it's the same old in and out every day you're going to break up the same fights the same groups it's the same this it's the same that but again those are not their neighbors either are you going to treat your neighbor a little bit differently than you treat someone that you don't know quote unquote i think that mental health part is probably uh is a great start to have that conversation with them but then again they're 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 the men and women in blue and you know they're the tough guys and who's really gonna go and talk to peer support who's really gonna want this officer with this gun collection with these machine guns and this, that, and the other, the SWAT team to go and sit down and talk to somebody and be honest about their feelings and their emotions so that they don't be the next victim slash offender of a national situation. Are they really, really, that conversation is so important for them to have. And I'm pretty sure that they have some of these departments 
have this in place, but is anyone taking advantage of it? Because they don't want to seem weak. So yeah. then I yeah. uh, go ahead, Donald. Yeah, I was gonna say um, mandated is what I think it should be. If you're going, if you're going to choose this profession, yeah, then the choice should be a mandated support system, right? Like it should be, uh, and it should be mandated. Football players have to go to practice, right? Uh, you absolutely, yep. I yep. have to do certification training to keep my skills up to date. Yep, right? just like they have to go to the gun range every so often to keep their shooting. They gotta, they gotta shoot. Right. Yep. Exactly. So yep. it's not impossible. No, it's not. Mandate this experience for them. Because if you can whip your gun out and shoot somebody, you should be able to whip your, you. And you should always tell the kids, you should always be in control of you. Nothing or nobody should make you get you so riled up that you lose control. But it happens. And it happens too, too much. Too, it happens too often than not with, with, with the police. And in particular, with the police and African-Americans. Why is that? Because we all know we have this, uh, it's a, it's a um, nothing official, but we always say, oh, if they didn't show the offender's face on TV, he must be white, right? Oh yeah. Uh, we get the calls. If they just say, oh, uh, there was this guy lurking in a gangway, he's wearing a green shirt, whatever, whatever. If they don't say he's a male white, if it doesn't say, if it doesn't specifically say, then we already know that the caller was white and that the person was white because they didn't say he was black or he, they didn't say he was Hispanic. Yeah, and, and I, go ahead. Needs to be retrained. Everybody, the citizens need to be retrained. Mm -hmm need to be retrained uh everybody has to have this conversation yeah i think that uh people don't really realize that this whole entire country and system was built off of slavery and racism yeah and that has seeped into everything that we everything. do across yeah. industries how people are trained because look at police officers and how they're trained it's, it goes back into this idea that if someone doesn't look like you, then they must be less than. And that notion of, that, that notion is coming from the, the, the mindset that at one point in time, you know, whites were the majority, right? So if you know, everyone in America is majority white, well, if they don't look like you, they must be a problem, they must be a threat. You got to do something about it. And now, we see how they interact with protesters now, right? So, so now I think this is, I, I've seen kind of the evolution of this issue. I definitely see there's, there's definitely a racism issue, definitely police brutality. But now, I think Don brought this up earlier, now we see police officers acting as if they are military in like a foreign country where they are now not being de-neutralizers, not looking to defuse or de-escalate the situation, but they are actually preparing as if they are going for war against their own people that they should be protecting in a sense of Americans, right? Like you are here in America as a police officer, your job and your duty should be to protect those people, 
not inflict more harm, not agitate them, not rile them up, but do what is necessary for them to express their rights, but be protected in doing so and ensure that they are not hurting other people. That doesn't mean that you are supposed to be the violent one, the violent one, or use violence to do so. There's other things you can do to do that. However, this whole notion that we've created has has really allowed for this inhumane act of individuals, which then just goes back to how we've treated individuals in our country for years. And I want to say this too because, you know, my 28 years, um, I think too, we have a responsibility to conduct ourselves in a proper manner also, right? So I work for a large city and I've worked all over this city, right? And when you have, when the kids are out of school in the summer, of course, call volumes go up, right? Well, why is it that the kids on the south or the west side of the city are at the bus stop or on the corners throwing bricks and bottles at the buses, at the commuter buses? Why are you doing that? They're not doing that on the north side. Why are you out here behaving this way? If you weren't out here hanging out on the corner causing mischief, then we wouldn't have a reason to send the police over there. You already know they're coming. You already know who's policing over here. Why are you out here acting like this? That was, we, we too have to conduct ourselves as such. Somebody said, oh, it's because of the trauma. Uh, okay, maybe so. But poor and trauma and poverty, why are you going to be destructive? People are on the buses going to, to and fro work or wherever they're going and you're going to sit up here and you throwing bricks and bottles at the bus? Why? Why? <laughs> they're not on the well, north side know, standing on the corner selling drugs. They're doing theirs. They, uh, it's uh, a different kind of way. So why you got to be on the corner selling drugs? Why? What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you out here being a target? Why are you out here for this? And then you want to call and say that they're harassing you. Well, why are you out there to be harassed? That's just where I'm coming from. Two, on the other side of that, we have to be responsible and accountable for ourselves as well. I always tell my kids, check your own mistakes. Don't let nobody else come behind you and find your mistakes. You go over your work and find your own. Check yourself. And don't nobody else have to check you. I think, I think that's a, it is a valid, fair, and excellent point. But I will just add this, right? access to the system that protects you from the police is not always available to children on the west and south side the way it's available to children in other communities similar right in parallel to the way access to health care drops off as you move from north to west or south right and uh, life expectancy drops, regardless of whether or not you're throwing bricks or, you know, in the basement selling weed, smoking weed, uh, your access to health care, so that extends your access to education, your access to safety and security, your access to mental health and well-being. Uh, I think kids are going to be, 
fair. They should, I, I totally understand that, that personal responsibility is first and foremost important. Yes. However, one group of people has a mom, a single mom working two jobs. And another group of people has not that. Right. And you can break it down along race and then you can always say, well, what about this group that has similar experience? But this other group that has similar experience does not have a history rooted in not and not only like slavery as a concept, but slavery as an economy mm-hmm. and as a mind state. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if my if you know, you know, if if my family member uh, uh, did not have actually, you know, I read this. We'll have to wrap up here in a little bit, but I was reading about Trevor Noah. I was reading Trevor Noah's book about the education that his that his grandparents received under apartheid. Two things struck out to me, stuck out to me. One, I didn't realize <laughs> that apartheid was still on the books and active while I was alive. I always thought that that was a long time ago, first. Two, he said that his grandparents' level of education was sing-song alphabet. If your grandparents' level of education is sing-song alphabet, they didn't teach your parents anything. You're lucky if your parents were able to find education, which now has given you the opportunity, him, Trevor Noah, to write a book. But his boys was throwing bricks because their grandparents didn't learn anything. Their grandparents' grandparents didn't learn anything. So when it's like, okay, you have access to education, cool. But if I don't have the family structure that can help me take advantage of this access to education, then we have a problem. The same is true of taking access to the resources that are available. Like children going to be wild. That's how they're going to act. The expectation is that there's a community there for them, but the community gets destroyed. The men are locked up in prison on purpose for nothing. The women are required to then raise these boys. The boys can consume this, this, uh, this image of themselves via the media, and then they act that image out on the streets. The police consume an image of themselves in the media. And most times, those police are grown adult men beating up on boys. Right. Like and and I'll bring it back to this uh, this brain science available like conversation. They don't let I don't know if they do this still, but when before I turned 25, I could not rent a car. Because they know. Boys under the age of 25 are reckless. We know that. (laughs) You know, I mean, like if the rental car company knows it. We know everybody else knows it. So why are we, and I'm not, I'm not taking away from personal responsibility, but what I'm mm-hmm. saying is we are not supporting, we are not creating the support mechanisms and, and mandating, just like we don't mandate mental health for people walking around with guns in their pocket. We are not mandating that cities and city government provide access to resources equitably that would keep 15-year-old boys from acting like 15-year-old boys. They can, they can be destructive 
on the basketball court. They can be destructive at the wrestling match. They can be destructive playing with Legos. They can be destructive, which is also nowadays considered innovative, right, in, in these coding boot camps. <clears throat> but all of that is not available to them. So it's fit, like I said, definitely personal responsibility, but access to the ability to be safe from the police and from the experience. You know what I mean? Like I used to be on the corner. I'm well-educated, strong family, knew what I was supposed to be doing, but we still used to run from the police. What else is there to do? You can only be in the basement for so long. There ain't shit else for us to do, but go fuck around with the cops. You know what I mean? Like that's who, but now they shooting. They weren't shooting back in the day. Um, so like times have changed for sure. Like I don't remember anybody ever getting stomped on by the police, but I definitely was harassed by the cops until, you know, my mom was like, stop harassing him. But that was 30 years ago, back when it was still community. <coughs> and we was in a small little town. <coughs> um, in these major cities where somebody can live in, like you said, can live in the same town, but they coming from way up north, coming south or west, them people don't know each other. There's nobody to, for you to come in and say, leave my son alone. Uh, and then, and then the, the, the bigger the city, the broader the disparity. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, no, you, you're completely right, uh, Donald. And uh, two things I wanted to say is that I, I do have hope. I do have hope that things are changing given uh, recent events, but also past events, right? You know, we, we all know about George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, but there's also Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin, um, even here in Austin, Mike Ramos, so many individuals that have been, that has lives have been taken away, and there is a sense of urgency. I'm not sure if it's the constant killing of black men and black women, even him, Hispanics, combined with COVID-19, you know, maybe just there's this uh, trifecta effect, so to speak, has really, you know, allowed people to speak up and use their voice and demand a new system. And the new system is doing what you are calling to do, to create a framework that prevents uh, young, young individuals from low-income areas, underserved areas, underrepresented areas, to have not just access, but good quality access to what it is um, that allows for a positive outlook, right? Whether that's access to new career opportunities, to skills, to training, to even, even like individual skills, right? How, how to handle yourself, how to process and channel what you're going through, but there are so many other environmental and societal challenges that impact someone's well-being. Uh, so I do have hope that we'll be able to create the new a system that we want that'll be able to provide many of these outlets. Because as you know, Donna, you are, we're both in the tech space, right? And you see how individuals in the tech industry who've been there, let's say their father was in the tech space, right? Well, they have a completely different lifestyle because their parents were in the tech space versus if they're, um, they're the first ones entering the, the tech industry. You have to create, you have to understand this system. And if you are, if you are, exposed to more opportunities longer well that's what's going to provide an opportunity for you to create some form of generational wealth it may not be financial but majority of the time it is it could be network it could be people around you it could be something else that doesn't put you in a situation where you may have a negative 
experience with a police officer or you may get judged a certain way but instead you're on a different track um however you know we have to keep in mind that that's not what um here in america they they didn't want that to happen they did not want the, the black family to be strong uh, which is why we see how uh, black men are are significantly uh, represented within our criminal justice system even though we do not significantly represent america um, right, they they do not want us to be unified and strong because then now we get to take our dollars and do whatever it is you want to do with it to impact road change and get more of us to be successful. Uh, so with all of that, I do have hope though. I do have hope that we are moving in the right direction, but we got a long, long, long way to go. Long way, long way to go. Yes. Actually, you know what? Um, I got a question for you guys, and <clears throat> maybe this will be a maybe. <laughs> This would be a all lives matter. What, what about, what about question? <clears throat> but, uh, but I have received, and, and I think we know it, right? From a percentage perspective, black people are overrepresented relative to murder at the hands of the police system. However, from a total numbers perspective, whites are the greater majority, even though they have a lesser percentage. My question is, why don't we see them on the news? Now, I asked that question to somebody else, and they said, they said two things, kind of. The first part of the answer was because a white community doesn't actually exist in America. And then two, but, and then like kind of a follow-up on that was that um, the white community doesn't care about their people. Uh, I thought that that was interesting because what it made me feel, right, and this is where I, where I took it, is we as Black people in America decide, whether on purpose or be, for whatever reason, we decide to empathize and, and carry the burden of Blackness when harms are uh, exercised against other people's same skin color. But what has not happened is that rant like white people separate from the same experience. I mean, having the same experience do not empathize with the murderer, right? Like I've never heard, you know, of all the friends that I have, all the peers, all of the coworkers, you know what I mean? Like I, I you know, I've, I predominantly spend my time in white America. Uh, I've never heard anyone be like, I feel like the murderer. I feel like I sense the experience of the murderer. But we always regularly take on the burden of the murdered. I'm, I'm just wondering, like, what do y'all think about that? Um, do you have an opinion? Where, where does that sit with you? Well, first of all, I guess it would go back to us versus them. You know how like um, they always say, oh, black lives don't matter to black folks. Or you know how you might get into it with your sister and it's okay for you to uh, get in your sister's face, but nobody else better not get in my sister's face, right? Um, I never knew that 
that so the media the media there's no media attention when there's white on white crime is that what you're saying hmm that's interesting that's very interesting so there's no outrage they're not protesting they're not marching if a white police officer kills a, a, a a white citizen no there isn't i'm saying they don't even make the news Right, because from a numbers perspective, this is what I'm saying, right? We know that from a percentage perspective, it's high. But from a total number, right? Total numbers, it's more of them than us. So is this by design then? Let me tell you something. So then is this by design because you don't want us to know that you're killing your own too? We just want to shine the light on that so that we can bring more rhetoric to that? Because let me tell you something. I know when we make notifications on things that are high priority or what they call um, hot ticket items that the media needs to know about, what we know what goes on, what I know what happens, and we send up for our notifications versus what comes out in the media. Everything, the truth don't always come out in the media. Okay? I know that for a fact. So, are they fudging numbers? Yeah. We don't want nobody to know that? No, we don't want nobody to know. So, we're going to keep that hush-hush. So, maybe. Maybe. I'm just saying. I don't know. I, I, I had not even had an opportunity to look at that perspective. But I do know sometimes when we send up notifications and the things that have, have, we know have occurred, that's not what we get, get told in the media. So maybe yeah. I don't want to know that. I don't know. It's good, yeah. that's good to investigate. So this is my thoughts on it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to just throw out some, uh, some, uh, some ideas that I have, right? So number one, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, it doesn't matter because the police officers are killing black people. So therefore, let's keep on allowing them to do what they do, which limits the amount of black people that we have here in America, which then increases the number of white people we have in America. So we keep our majority. That's, okay. that's one. That's one, right? Okay. And the second is, oh, we can't actually let white people know we're killing white people because then whites will actually care, kind of like the opioid crisis, right? So here it is. Now, mm. now we have highlighted how this has really impacted so many whites. It's a national crisis, and now we get so much attention on this. Okay, but then what about vets, right? What about those that are suffering from mental illness? There's other things that we really don't want to talk about because if we actually talk about it, we actually have to change it. And if we actually change it, well, then who's going to be the one responsible for changing it? And who are we going to blame for how things are? And I don't think, I don't think that our leadership has the capacity uh, nor the um, humanity that is needed to actually fix problems versus putting a band-aid over it or just not addressing it altogether. But those are love my it. thoughts. Love it. Love it. I love it. <laughs> love it. <laughs> And on that note, we're going to close out of Culture Crawl ATX Podcast. We thank you so much for listening. And we ask that you take this time to follow Culture Crawl ATX on Instagram and click that like button and follow on your favorite podcast listening platform.